listeners and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast. I'm your host Mike Jeffrey. Today we're welcoming Laura Lamoon who will be reading from her new book A Thousand Little Deaths. Before I introduce her I just want to remind you that Skylight Books is open for in-store browsing right now, curbside pickup, and online ordering on our website www.skylightbooks.com. Please check that website and our social media to stay up to date on mask protocols and capacity limits and uh, hours of operation and all that good stuff. Okay, Laura Lamoon is a dominatrix, street-based sex worker, sugar baby, escort, and all-around pro-ho. Her writing on the intersections of sex work, social justice, and public health have been featured in the Huffington Post, The Establishment, Where Your Voice Mag, The Body, and others. And her activism work has been profiled by such media outlets as NBC, BuzzFeed News, The Daily Beast, Rolling Stone, The Stranger, and more. She has served as peer advisor for the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime around issues related to sex work, HIV, and drug use, and has also collaborated with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the U.S. Department of Justice, and the local health department to promote public policy issues related to sex work and sex trafficking. Laura lives in Seattle with her cute little rescue pup, Coco Bean, and you can feel free to connect with Laura on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or check out her blog on medium.com. Thanks so much for joining us, Laura. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing super well. Um, I only have been to LA a couple times, but Skylight Books was my favorite bookstore because I went to a bunch of them. So I'm like super excited to be with you guys today. Oh yeah, it's, it's really our pleasure. And uh, you're gonna read some poems for us today. I am indeed. Awesome, well you can take it away. All right. Um, so this is my book, A Thousand Little Deaths. It came out in November. Um, so I'll just read a couple of poems. All right, this one is called Sex, Money, Power. Just trying to get that money. You sit too close and touch my thigh like you already own me. I love how you promise me everything, then turn around and shame me. For the table scraps, I sit patiently like a good girl and wait for, because nice girls don't burden men with their humanity. I'm sorry, sir, that I bothered you with my growling belly. Next time I'll know better than to have needs. Um, And this one is called an offering. Sometimes I victimize myself as a sacrifice to the gods of ill fortune. Hoping to appease them with my self-inflicted suffering, I jump into the fire, cradling my inner child to set her ablaze. White hot flesh melting off of scorched bone. Onlookers shocked and aghast. What a pity that girl who causes herself such harm. But they walk away indifferent to my demise. Judgment pouring from their mouths in droves of angry wasps. In the end, if they didn't see it, it didn't happen. And that's all that matters. 
Mama always said a good girl is one who makes herself as small as possible. Uh, right, this one is called plugging the hole. The bed is cool and soft under the sensible green cotton sheets you gave me. And what will become of me, asks no one in particular. Good question. For now I am wheat in an empty field. Sweet cheap candy from the dollar store is dinner again. The apartment is quiet except for the sound of the fan that I leave running all the time. I can't afford television, but the silence only reminds me you're not here. Holding on tight to an outcome I've bet everything on. And if I let you go, what will I replace you with? I have nothing with which to plug the hole. Perhaps that is the cold, brutal truth that wakes me up at night. I respond to apathy quicker than love. When I drink kitchen cleaner, all those times in the hospital, what would you think of me if you really knew me? I guess we can't take that chance. All right, I'll just read one more. This one is called Judgment. He comes to me across the road, a warning maybe, and I never knew how serious death could be. But when I came closer, you leave, down the road into the Red Rock Canyons. When I touch you, I can see you run like a coyote. The second tenet of womanhood is that men are skittish and you must make sure never to cause them to feel confined. Sometimes coyotes are hunted due to overpopulation. The hunters easily become the hunted at some point in time. I don't think you understand my rage. You've never had to. For now, I sit in waiting for you to cross my path again. It's hunting season. I'll stop there. <laughs> or I appreciate it. Um, I, so I'm curious about just like the journey of this collection of poems, um, how long you were working on it, sort of where, um, where you were living when it started. Yeah, um, I had, I was kind of homeless, I guess, when it started. And I was just, I was in the phase of like being homeless and transitioning out of homelessness. So a lot of the poems um, were written like in the dark because I didn't have money for electricity and stuff, um, which sounds very romantic, right? Like writing by candlelight poetry. <laughs> But um, yeah, it, it was mostly just because of poverty. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot less fun when you're actually doing it, when you're not uh, looking at a still image of it. Right. <laughs> and like over how long of a period of time were you working on this book? Um, I would say probably about a year. And then it took like another year to kind of find a publisher um, that was like sex worker friendly and was willing to kind of uh, give my content attention, essentially. Yeah. Were you met with like some sort of like skittish responses or people who were taken aback by the material very much? Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I've gotten that currently I'm working on my second poetry book, which will be out this fall. Um, and then I'm also working on a memoir, which hopefully I can place soon. But I think it's, it's funny because my, my first poetry book, A Thousand Little Deaths, and my memoir are getting like very similar 
reaction where it's just like, wow, this is really great. I have no idea what to do with it. I have no idea how to sell it. I have no idea who would read it. Right, right. So yeah. Um, and you, you know, you were working on these poems and what I'm, sounds like a really difficult transition moment. Do you think of like poetry for you as like a form of like consolation or coping at all? Or um, was it like a way to sort of like escape the situation that you were in or a way of like trying to render it or make use of it, do you think? Yeah, you know, I started um, with this first poetry book. Uh, I actually started trying to write the memoir and I just found that like the place I was at in my life at the time, probably the place I was at internally as well, um, I wasn't really able to like put my feelings to exact narrative, you know, in ways that like other people could follow and understand. So I felt like my feelings, the the best I could do was sort of translate them into these fragmented words and phrases and pieces and stuff. And that's, you know, poetry. So it was kind of the most accessible thing to me at the time. I think also from like a, a time point of view, you know, if you're in a precarious situation, you can, you can write a poem in an hour, you know, like it, it's kind of when you're working in long form, you gotta, you know, take more time with those things and do Exactly. Yeah, it's really hard to write narrative, especially if you're writing a book. Um, if you don't, you know, have a place to sleep or your housing's unstable or whatever the situation. Right. Um, were you reading anyone particularly influential, like before or in the period when you were working on this book? Um, you know, I kind of started out writing poetry before I ever started reading poetry which I don't know if that's like weird or if most people do that or what, but um, I only within maybe the past, I don't know, year or two have started like really regularly reading other poets and like trying to build up my ability to um, appreciate poetry in, in like and appreciate poetic form, mm -hmm. which had been something and still kind of is sort of a little bit elusive, you know, like these different ways to like create a poem. And um, I don't know, it's all kind of very complicated. And, but kind of like I said earlier, the most accessible thing for me at the time was just to write it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so like in the past like year or two, when you have been like diving into reading a little bit more poetry, has there been anyone who you've particularly responded to? Um, yeah, uh, Donez Smith, mm. I really like their poetry, um, Jericho Brown, I'm looking over this way at my, uh, bookshelf, <laughs> um, Fatima Oscar, um, yeah, I think I gravitate towards poets that kind of aren't afraid to just say the things that we're not supposed to say. Right. Um, I really appreciate that because, you know, I feel like kind of that's what my poetry is as well. Um, more so with like to do with sex workers and sex workers rights and experiences of sex workers and stuff like that. 
Do you have a, a favorite poem or a poem that's particularly dear to you in this collection? Oh, in A Thousand Little Ducks? In your book, yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think so. Um, to be honest, I think, where is it? Oh yeah, this one, The Stigma of Survival. Um, this poem was kind of a barrier to getting publishing deals because it talks about HIV and it talks about uh, cum and it talks about, you know, all these things we're not supposed to write a poem about <laughs> or people don't um, really know what to do with it when you do. So I think that one is kind of, uh, I have a special place in my yeah. heart for it because like it doesn't really have a special place many other places. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we're all about it here on the Skylit podcast. You want to let it rip? You want to read that one too? Yeah, sure. Okay, uh, the stigma of survival. My purse is hidden in the oven. I don't have anything valuable, but the purse is a Michael Kors. So, you know, tricks come over and for 20 minutes, I pantomime intimacy before washing the cum out of my vagina. Stay far away while you come inside me. I can't let anyone know what we do because I'm a hooker stereotype. Unprotected sex is another level of political incorrectness. I'm not using condoms, but I'm not supposed to admit I don't use condoms either. Maybe I would have, maybe I would have required condoms if I had been in a financial place to make demands. I'm not a dumb hooker, I'm a desperate hooker going in to get my HIV test. And once again, honesty with medical professionals gets me nowhere. How many sexual partners have you had in the last three months? I want to be honest. I want to have an open dialogue, but shame. She looks at me from her ivory tower. And to be honest, she can't even see me from way up there. And I know I won't make that mistake again but I'm just the whore with cum running down her leg. Today's episode of Skylit is brought to you by Rare Bird Lit. Critics have called it gripping and a must read. Unstoppable by Joshua M. Green is the unbelievable true story of Ziggy B. Wiltzig's astonishing journey from Auschwitz survivor and penniless immigrant to Wall Street legend. Out now in hardcover from Insight Editions. Now, back to the episode thank you what yeah. i mean what i like about this poem and it's a theme that definitely comes up in your nonfiction too is like this frustration at people sort of um thinking they understand what your life is as a sex worker and then you having lived that experience and knowing that it's different than their perception of it and just those things colliding um and so you know, it's it's interesting to see like how you play with that in poetic form compared to how you do it in nonfiction. Yeah, um, I mean, I that really is probably my favorite poem because it's I've come up against and so many sex workers do like when we go to get medical treatment of any kind, and if we do disclose that we're sex workers, which like usually. I don't because it just, I don't want to deal with having to walk them through it and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but, uh, 
usually the only questions are around STDs and HIV testing. Um, and it's assumed that, A, you don't know much about what those things are, um, that you're not well informed about STDs or HIV. Um, number two, that you don't get regular testing, that you've never been tested. Um, I mean, there's so many like assumptions. And to me, um, and this is just me, I was really more interested in mental health resources. You know, I felt like uh, it's okay. Like I've got the HIV STD testing stuff. I know how to get, get help with that. Um, you know, but if you want to help me with like other things, there's other things I want to do. If you want to like actually ask me, you know, what, what things I want to do or get taken care of. So yeah, there's a lot of, um, preconceived notions about, uh, especially sex work and like victimhood mm. and that, you know, we're all sad and pathetic and victims and none of us, you know, are educated about anything and none of us can speak for ourselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, like you've written about being a sex trafficking survivor and also a sex worker. And it feels like in particularly in more conservative circles, that's not a distinction anyone ever makes. Um, and so you kind of are speaking from a position of authority of knowing that there is a difference between the two. Right. Yeah. A huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think most people, and especially with the laws recently, um, FOSTA SESTA are, are is an anti-trafficking law that was passed recently. Um, there's so much conflation and it just gets worse and worse and worse. I think like every month, every year, um, people think they know a lot about sex work because, oh, at their job once somebody came in and talked about sex trafficking or something, you know, it's kind of like the new, um, bad of an issue like sex trafficking and I find a lot of people think they know about sex work because they read an article about sex trafficking or they saw a movie that was you know really sensationalistic or something yeah and I mean then there's the whole like conspiratorial craziness of like QAnon that takes it as like its major theme yeah right exactly <laughs> Does it get, um, do you feel like as a writer, it's sort of like you're calling to sort of be like a voice for sex workers instead of having like these stories told by people who kind of like don't know what it's really like on the ground? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I know that like being uh, a white, like college educated sex worker, there's no way possible I can speak for all sex workers right. and for all sex working experiences, um, nor should I. Um, so I don't know, I think, you know, it sounds really selfish and it doesn't sound very romantic when I say it, but I really just wanted to be a writer to have my own voice heard you know, to feel, because I'd experienced so much trauma and, um, you know, rape and uh, trafficking and all these things, uh, I felt like I didn't have my own voice anymore. 
So it's really been kind of a self-serving journey that like inadvertently, hopefully helps people, right? But, um, but I think you can never be a writer for other people. Like ultimately you have to do it for yourself because you don't know, you know, if anybody's ever gonna publish your stuff or read your stuff or like your stuff or whatever. It involves a lot of indulging yourself and spending a lot of time in your own head. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally. It's very like masturbatory in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, when did you first start like writing creatively? Like was it something you gravitated toward in school or at college or? Yeah. Uh, when I was a little kid, I think in third or fourth grade, I started getting really into writing and I won some like district wide writing competition. And I remember I got this cute little like blue ribbon thing. <laughs> it was so adorable. Um, but I always loved writing. I loved writing poetry and fiction as a child. Um, and I think when I became a teenager and like, you know, a lot of trauma and multiple traumas and their after effects started to set in and stuff, I kind of like, just left it basically, just left writing. Um, and it was only after I got sober in 2015 that I was like, well, shit, I'm sober now. I can't spend my time drinking or doing drugs. So what am I gonna spend my time doing? And then it was like, okay, I'll get back into writing. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so like sort of, a, it's interesting that you have like sobriety as like being the moment where you pivot. Um, are you also, are you like a routine oriented writer? Do you, are you someone who like sits at the desk for a certain amount of time each day at a certain hour or um, do you sort of like take it as it comes? No, I'm totally like a chaos writer. <laughs> I, I mean, my nature is just like very chaotic anyways, um, pro probably because of growing up with like, you know, traumatic stuff and, child abuse and stuff, but um, I, I have tried as I've gotten older and, uh, you know, as the years have gone on as a writer to be like more routine oriented and more strategic about my writing. I'm better about it now, um, but I think it's really hard for any, I don't know any writer that like consistently writes every single day and never ever misses a day and never ever struggles with like, you know, keeping themselves on track and stuff. It's just, to me, it seems like that's every writer is, you know, even if they're good at the routine stuff, they still are gonna struggle at some point with it. Definitely. Um, and have, can you spot like a difference in the poetry now that you're writing from a different situation? Like it's your second book of poems that you're working on now. Um, you you have a steady housing situation. Is it like showing up in the content so much or um, how would you say it's different now? Yeah, actually, I think it, it that's an interesting parallel I hadn't made, but um, so this book of poems I'm working on right now, it's called Dirty. And basically it's, um, I, I didn't have any kind of a theme with the thousand little deaths. It was very like, helter-skelter, chaotic, you know, here's a poem there, there's a poem there. Um, I mean, there are themes, but like not necessarily in the way that like 
is standard now, I feel like, for poems to have kind of, or poetry books to have themes to them. So this one is, um, the one I'm writing now is, uh, is called Dirty. And it's basically like every single poem is inspired by the word dirty. So like I just wrote a poem um, for dirty about period sex. So um, I wrote another poem about yeast infections for dirty. So it's like whatever you can sort of think of as, um, as a connotation of the word dirty, you know, I'm trying to put it in, po in book form. So does that mean that there's going to be a poem about the Christina Aguilera song called Dirty? Oh my God, you just gave me the best. I didn't even think of that, but that's so brilliant. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, right before we hopped on this call, I was writing a poem inspired by the word moist. <laughs> so, so to answer your question, um, yes, I think now that I have stable housing, it's a lot easier to be more organized and strategic about my books. Um, not that there's anything wrong with just like writing a bunch of shit down and, and publishing it, you know? Right, right. <laughs> um, how did uh, COVID and, the, you know, quarantining and the pandemic affect your routines at all? Um, because, you know, I've heard some writers talk about how basically being locked at home was great and they had plenty of time and then plenty of people saying the opposite where they felt just like so trapped and got nothing done and felt guilty about it. Yeah, I think for me, too much, too much time is a bad thing. I need structure in order to get anything done. So like COVID was really a struggle for me because it was just like, well, shit, it's been a week and I haven't left my house. And like, you know, the the house cleaning is going to hell and you know all these things so i've had to be again more strategic and organized in order to make sure i get anything done because otherwise it won't did you pick up any like uh quarantine hobbies or uh quirky behaviors to <laughs> yourself <laughs> quirky behaviors i don't know i don't live with anyone who could tell me um but I, I started um, felting and doing oil painting. Cool. So yeah, I'm like, I really like the little felt animals. They're so cute. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk a little about, you do some consulting work I saw, like some manuscript evaluation stuff now. Um, how'd you get involved in that and how's it been going so far? Yeah, um, well, actually, to go off your earlier question, so in COVID, um, you know, I think everybody is maybe, you know, picking up another hobby. Um, and a lot of people that, for a lot of people, that's writing. So I've had a lot of friends uh, since the pandemic started ask me uh, questions about writing. So, like, whether it's writing an essay for Huffington Post, for example. Or, um, oh, I want to write a poetry book, or I want to write a fiction book, or um, whatever it is, or I need help getting published. So uh, I've just kind of started, because like people were coming to me anyways, it was sort of like, well, hmm, maybe I should just like do this as a, as a gig. So I'm in the process of starting a business, um, getting together an LLC, um, and just making it kind of an official thing. 
Cool. And then, so how would someone reach out to you if they're interested, you know, in case we got a listener who loved your book and wants to get your feedback on their poems? Yeah, that'd be awesome. So I'm in the process of revamping my website, which is lauralamoon.com. Um, but you can also just email me at laura.lamoon at gmail. So cool. Yeah. Let's see. What are you reading uh, right now? I'm curious. Right now, um, well, I just finished Mexican Gothic. So I've gotten really into reading fiction. Um, I just finished Mexican Gothic, which was really good and really interesting for me because I don't typically read those kind of like, I don't know if it's, it would be fantasy or um, what, but uh, I'm reading Melissa Phoebos's Girlhood because I'm doing a, um, a review of it. And I started it last night and like just hours went by and I was just loving reading it. So I'm excited to get to it again today or tonight actually when I have a little bit of time before I go to bed. The, the best feeling. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when you get engrossed with a book, it's the yeah. best. I know, I know you're juggling two book projects right now with the memoir and the new collection of poems, but um, do you think you'll write any fiction? Is that something you're interested in doing? Actually, I am. And I, I think it was, it was before the pandemic, right before the pandemic, I finished a um, fiction writing class at Hugo House here in Seattle. Um, and it was so fun, like, because it was going back to what first made me love writing when I was in third or fourth grade was just using all of your creativity. And like the great thing about fiction that kind of sucks with nonfiction is, you know, fiction, you can kind of, even if there's stories you don't want to tell publicly about yourself, like you can make it into a fiction story and nobody knows if it's, if it really happened or not. So Right, right. You can kind of throw things in the blender a little bit, change a detail or two. Yep, yep. Deny it was you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your work with us, Laura. Um, once again, this uh, I was talking today with Laura Lamoon. She read poems from her new collection, A Thousand Little Deaths. You can order that your copy at skylightbooks.com or stop into the store and pick it up in person. Um, thanks again, Laura, and thanks for all our listeners for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.